For a supposedly obsolete idea, the checkbook still holds a lot of power. It remains the gateway to Americans' money. Now, big tech companies want in on the party. But traditional banks have proven surprisingly resilient when it comes to these customer relationships. How much longer can Wall Street hold off Silicon Valley? I'm Alex Yule. This week on The Readback, I'm joined by Barron's Ben Walsh, who covers financial technology for us. Hey, Ben. Hi, Alex. There's constantly news on your beat, which we like to call fintech. But last week seemed particularly momentous. Tell us what happened. There was a lot. Facebook came out with Facebook Pay, which integrates a money transfer app into Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp. And there was also a big controversy about Goldman Sachs and the Apple Card and whether or not the bank was giving women who applied lower credit limits than their husbands who had the same card. And that's a credit card from Apple and Goldman jointly. Yes, but Goldman does all the underwriting. Okay. And then the other one was that Google announced that it was going to begin offering checking accounts with Citibank and a Stanford credit union. So based on that, it sounds like big tech's takeover of finance has finally arrived, right? We've been talking about this for a long time. It's here. I wouldn't go that far, actually. I think that what this shows is the opposite, which is just how durable big banks are. They're not going anywhere, and they continue to just churn out profits. And tech has proven to have a difficult road getting into finance. But fintech is more and more in the headlines these days. First of all, tell us, what is fintech? Sure. Well, fintech is really an old concept, and it's basically just a combination of finance and technology, starting with credit cards. MasterCard's the only credit card I really need. Anywhere. MasterCard and me and me, we can do it all. You could say the ATM is maybe one of the most widely used fintech devices out there. I know an easier way to get cash. Easier than writing a check? Use our Bank of America Versateller machine. No IDs to show, no checks to write, and a transaction record with your balance. And, of course, online banking. But really where it's gotten a lot of hype in recent years has been around big data, machine learning, social graphs, and combining that with finance. And really what's happened is, in a lot of cases, the hype hasn't really delivered the results. And so things like taking someone's social media profiles and lending to them based on that. Regulators have come in and said, no, 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 you can't do that. That's illegal. Someone's got to stop that. Someone's got to stop that. In other cases where it has succeeded, it's been, frankly, very boring for consumers. Companies like JPMorgan Chase and Citigroup and Goldman Sachs spend billions and billions of dollars every year that consumers just never see. Right. When I think about this sort of fintech story and how little tech is really in fintech, or how little tech companies are in fintech, I always go back to the Apple Pay example, which was Apple wanting to come in a few years ago. And I think we've talked about this on this podcast in the past, but Apple wanting to come in and basically create a payment system all based on the phone. Everyone was excited about it. And what ended up happening? Well, they partnered with MasterCard and Visa. So it kind of was just a nice little new skin on the game, but really nothing all that revolutionary. And I think why that's important, especially for us at Barron's, is like, unlike disruption in other areas, whether it's media, publishing, music, this kind of disruption 
it hasn't changed economics. It hasn't changed business models, right? I mean, MasterCard and Visa, the banks, they're all still thriving despite tech's interest. That's right. That's right. And I think that a big part of that has to do in finance with regulation and regulators. Basically, what bank regulators and other people in the finance regulation space have done a very good job of doing over the last 80 to 90 years is really clearly defining what the products that banks can offer are. So when you think about what a bank can sell you, checking accounts, savings accounts, credit cards, mortgages, you know, different investment products, Mm -hmm. all very narrowly defined, well-regulated within those confines. They each actually probably have their own regulator, right? Uh, Yeah. In a lot of cases, you know, there's a specific regulator for each type of product. In many cases, multiple regulators look at the same kind of product. That's something that bankers complain about a lot. Uh We've heard someone like Jamie Dimon spout off on that. But what that ends up meaning is that if you want to get into finance as a business perspective, there's only so many things you can offer. There's not really a new space to come into. And so technology companies end up offering products that are substantially similar or they don't end up happening. And we've seen cases where companies have tried to sort of play between the lines or in gray areas and regulators have come in and said, no, you can't do that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when tech does try to go big, because I think there's some recent examples where Silicon Valley companies really have said, well, we're the disruptive forces. We're going to disrupt. Facebook comes to mind. Right. Tell us what happened recently with Facebook. Well, so Facebook came out and over the summer came out with this white paper for what they're calling Libra and then a related Calibra wallet. Built on a cryptocurrency? Yeah, it's built on this digital currency that they're calling Libra that has a pretty novel structure. It's got a governing body that's sort of set up by Facebook, but Facebook says it doesn't control. Mm -hmm. It's based in Geneva, and the currency itself isn't U.S. dollars. It's a thing called Libra, which doesn't exist yet, but when it does exist, Facebook says it's going to be backed by major currencies like the euro and the yen and the dollar. But really, it's a totally different thing. And the idea is that you would send people Libra over Facebook instead of dollars and that this would remain a stable currency. How's that going? Well, not well. Um, (laughs) U.S. regulators and politicians on a fairly broad bipartisan basis have said, we do not like this. You are going with all the power of Facebook to try to create a new currency. You're going to call it the Libra, but you're the person behind it. That's why it's called, I call it the Zuckbuck. CEO Mark Zuckerberg got called to talk about this, right? Yes. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said it was a national security risk. The Fed has been very cool on it. We will wind up having quite high expectations from a sort of uh, safety and soundness and regulatory standpoint if they do decide to go forward with something. And the U.S. is not the only country that's upset about it. France and Germany, their finance ministers have said they'll block the rollout of Libra. It's likely to never get off the ground in India and China. So you have this idea for a disruptive new global currency and new payment system offered by a massive tech company. And basically the road forward is you're not going to be able to use it in, in all likelihood in the U.S., Europe, China or India which is not a good start. Okay. And I think pretty much everyone who said they would partner with them last summer has already backed out. That's right. 
every single U.S.-based payments company that was initially included as part of the Libra Association when Facebook launched this idea has pulled out. And while the companies don't say this, it's pretty clear that they've pulled out because the regulatory picture is so uncertain going forward. Yeah, and I think it makes it kind of clear why a few years ago Apple decided to partner with Visa and MasterCard and why Google in this latest announcement and talking about a checking account is going to partner with Citigroup. I mean, they know what the road looks like if they really try to blow things up. That's right. If you basically stay on the existing finance rails and work with existing financial institutions and payment companies and build a sort of branded product that maybe has a little bit better user interface Mm -hmm. or a little bit better digital connection, regulators are absolutely fine with that. And that's what both Apple and Google have done. Okay. I want to explore one more possibility here, which is kind of a matter of trust. I mean, 2019 has been a year where we've really stepped back and said, have we let these technology companies get too big? Do they have too much power? Do we trust them? And I wonder when it comes to finance, is there some degree to which consumers actually trust banks more than they trust Silicon Valley? You know, I think technology companies certainly have higher sort of public approval ratings than banks do, still in part a holdover from the financial crisis. But I think there's a sort of a corollary to your question, which is, what set of regulators do consumers trust? Hmm. Do they trust tech regulators or do they trust banking regulators. And one of the big questions with do you trust tech regulators is who is that even? Right, right. I was going to say, are there even tech regulators? Well, I mean, you know, the DOJ, the Department of Justice and the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission are two massive regulators and law enforcement agencies. And so there are tech regulators, but they don't have as well-defined purviews as financial regulators do. So for instance, you see that when the FTC and the Department of Justice are both looking to investigate technology companies for anti-competitive behavior, they kind of end up in a turf war over who exactly should be doing what. And that's not the sort of a situation that you get into with, for instance, the FDIC, which has a very clear mandate, and everyone in the financial regulatory space pretty much knows what the FDIC does and why it exists. And that, of course, is the insurance for checking accounts. That's correct, yes. Um, a real win for consumers. I don't think any consumer would ever have anything negative to say about the FDIC, pretty no. much. So it's interesting. In a sense, you've got like a set of banking regulators that probably have the public's trust. You don't necessarily have that on the tech side, and you think that's playing into the bank industry's favor. Yeah, I think that even if consumers don't know the nitty-gritty of you know what the FDIC or the Office of the Comptroller of Currency does, they pretty much know if I put money into a checking or a savings account, it's going to be safe. Yeah, and yeah. my data is not going to be used in weird ways. And I don't think that necessarily people have that same trust with technology companies and the data that's collected by them. Yeah, and I find it so fascinating. You know, many of us several years ago when Google first put out Gmail said, okay, we're going to sign up for your free email accounts. It works really well. And yeah, sure, you'll read our emails, but that's not that big a deal. You'll scan it. You'll give us advertising. And I kind of wonder whether we've learned a lesson to some degree. I don't think Gmail is going anywhere. I still use it every day. I know many of us do. But I wonder whether this with technology is a second chance or basically a time when we can say, all right, tech, you know, stay away from our wallets. Yeah, I think and a big reaction to particularly 
the Facebook Libra announcement was precisely that debate. It was people saying, hey, listen, Facebook, you of all people should not be trying to further integrate your products into our lives at this moment in time. You've got Cambridge Analytica, you've got policing misinformation on your platform, abuse and other kinds of harassment on your platform. They have their hands full, basically. Yeah, and effectively saying you need to get your house in order with a whole long list of other things before you try to expand into something else. Sure, sure. Technology has improved our lives in a lot of ways. So I just wonder, would we be better off with more technology in our wallets and in our checking accounts? Well, I think that there's no question that, and banks will say this themselves, that they deal with a lot of legacy systems that aren't built the way that you would build something in 2019, and that banking would be smoother and easier if that technology were better. I think the question that a lot of consumers would have is, if the technology were significantly better, what would the benefit to them be? Would it be faster payments? Mm -hmm. Customers want that. You know, in Europe, you can clear transfers to and from bank accounts instantaneously. In the U.S., it can take several business days. Right. So I think if, you know, if it delivered real results to consumers, a lot of people would want it. I think there would be skepticism about whether or not it was just being used as a cost-cutting measure to increase bank profitability because, you know, checking accounts are so sticky, big banks are getting bigger. Yeah. Um, there are real competitiveness issues in the banking industry. So you have to worry if banks are just going to be capturing all of that technology benefit and, you know, flowing it through to their net income. I got to say, you know, I spent a lot of time covering technology and I'm mostly used to technology kind of getting what it wants. Big companies, big tech companies put their mind to something. They usually get it. Is is Wall Street really just going to be the exception to that rule? You know, it very well could be. And I think that unlike in other industries, Wall Street remains a very well-coordinated, very profitable business. And so when you have a group like that, plus regulators, plus consumers saying, hey, hold off, that's a pretty powerful trio blocking big tech's ambitions. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks so much, Ben. Thank you, Alex. To read Ben Walsh's continuing coverage of the fintech industry, check out barons.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoft. We'll return next week.